welcome to GuestCast. Tune in and listen as we speak to global education experts about the latest trends, challenges and stories that matter. Hello and welcome to another GuestCast episode. We're delighted to be joined by Brett Gervin, Principal at the Arbor School in Dubai. Having moved to the UAE from his native New Zealand, Brett has more than 10 years of experience leading schools in the Middle East. Brett, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, how have you been and how has the 2021 academic year been in general? It has been, oh, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. But uh, <laughs> it's been, well, it's been a year that just keeps on giving um, from start to finish. So I'm um, in the international scene. It has been a long year and, you know, we're still rolling with the punches, I guess. It's been, it's been a lot has been revealed about us as individuals and schools and communities. So there's been some highs and there's been some lows. I think that's been the same for everyone. And I think no one could have predicted really what's happened oh, this year. No. And the sort of scramble, I think, for schools having to adapt must have been particularly challenging. So one thing schools are great at, I think, is dealing with flexibility, you know, being flexible, sorry, and dealing with flux and states of change. And we, we're very good planners and putting action plans in place. But, you know, we can, we can plan for anything. We just can't plan for everything. And so that, that was the trickiest part, really, is the not knowing and trying to find plans, you know, solutions to problems that were unknown. So once we did finally get the sort of guidance we needed and, and some things started to reveal themselves through the year as we were, we were able to tweak what we were doing and try and make it work better. And we, at my school particularly, we've been lucky um, good luck or good management, one or the other, or a bit of both, is we've been able to be on site 100% of the year, um, which has been fantastic for us because there has been an element of normality of coming to work or coming to school every day, and, and a majority of our children um, are on site every day. So that's that's been great for, for me and the staff, but it has been you know, tiresome. What would be the sort of one sort of overarching piece of advice you'd give people having learned what you did in the, the past year? Mm. I would say, you know, with us that will happen again is be easy, go easy on yourself. Um, it's really, really um, easy to sort of jump to this point where you think that everything should be amazing tomorrow. Um, and the, the honest, cold truth is that there's no way it can be tomorrow because no one can switch from A to B just immediately. Yeah. And um, are there any sort of new initiatives or projects that you or your school are currently working on at the moment? Um, we're, we're, we're a newish school. We're only three years old, so a lot of the things we're doing are new <laughs> projects. Um, first time around for a lot of us, you know, building our secondary school is a new initiative and project we're, we're working on. Facilities and structures are in place, as in the, you know, the buildings, the spaces, the learning areas. So that's something we're working on. Um, really building a progressive curriculum around um, the core, what we call the pillars of our school. So we're... we're tightening it up and making sure it's, it's really well designed so that we can ensure the quality of education that children are getting. Um, there's some exciting things going on, but, but most of what we're doing at the moment is new, so it's, that's where the energy comes from. And what do you think, I mean, one of the, the questions I've got down here, it's quite a broad reach, and we kind of touched on it, is um, yeah. what do you think the biggest challenge facing school leaders is at the moment? Um, I think... It, 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 the kind of it's contextual in terms of where your school is. So if you're a, a school that's been around for forty or fifty years or, or longer, you've 
you're a traditional school and you do what you do really well, I'm assuming, um, and you're just trying to think about how you then meet the needs of what the future might look like. That's the tricky part. So if this is no longer what education is going to look like, then what is it going to look like and how do I move from where I am to where, where we think it's going to be? So trying to crystal ball gaze and then, and then shift the norm from where you are is a big challenge. If you're not in that situation where, where you're already settled, a newish school like us, the challenge is then not only being competitive in a, in a tricky market, um, but also nailing down exactly what it is that's important to you. So for us, it's about being purpose-driven and, and then trying to hold ourselves to that purpose. If, if you've got a different um, North Star, you know, the thing that's really important to you, if it's grades or if it's selectivity or if it's sports or whatever it is, is hanging on to that in the face of the changes that are happening is really tough. So that, you know, more than just sort of enrolments or, or well-being, I think it's a bigger question about what is education going to look like and how do I prepare, you know, this institute, this place to be ready for that. And I think that's something that's sort of happened this year is sort of, you know, everyone's had mm -hmm. to get their crystal balls out and try Absolutely. and plan with not knowing exactly what's going to happen. And I was going to ask sort of how do you think sort of the next academic year starting in September is going to look yeah. different, um, <laughs> do you think? Or do you think sort of hybrid learning and everything that's sort of happened at the moment will, will continue? Absolutely, I do think. I think there's a new narrative of education and people might think that's a lot of blah, blah at the moment. Um, but I think there's some things we'll never go back from um, that we've, we've learned a lot about in terms of, you know, particularly using technology and bringing the, the business of education future, further forward in terms of how we can deliver it to meet our clientele. Um, and then there's been a change of mindset from a lot of parents about what school means to them and what other opportunities might be out there in, in types of schools. So I, I have a feeling that um, the diversity of opportunities within the, the school market as a whole will, will continue to increase. People will find different ways to do it. Some schools will hold tightly to what they did before and people will trust those schools because there'll be some security in that. You know, there, there'll be a safety blanket and knowing what they did before hasn't changed a heck of a lot. And then some schools will probably be on that bridge between the traditional and the, and the alternative. And so that's probably one of the hardest positions to sit in if you're trying to give people the safety blanket of what was before, but a taster of what may be. Um, that, that's a really tricky space to sit in, that liminal space of, of reimagining what it could be and trying to um, satisfy both ends of the spectrum. So, yeah, that, that's my, my crystal ball gazing, if I had to say, would be <laughs> that um, a lot of what we've learnt will stay, but the things that people value won't change. So that's really high-quality education that cares holistically about the children, not just about grades alone. At this sort of point of the podcast, we like to sort of ask a bit more about, about you and, and sort mm -hmm. of your career. Um, can you tell me what you enjoy most about working in education? And I, I love the variety, I guess. You know, every day I come in, I, I think if you looked at my sort of my web browser or the tabs that I had open, <laughs> from, in my school, from under, I think I looked yesterday, there was something about do hedgehogs burrow to, um, <laughs> you know, how many advertisements were still vacant in Dubai on the test to looking at a range of schools across the globe to then looking at the data we have from our current assessments. So... The variety, if it was a spice of life, it's quite spicy at the moment because there's a lot of variety, there's a lot of guessing, but yeah, that's what I love. I love coming in and dealing with the humans, dealing with the people, um, dealing with the families, talking to children and um, never quite knowing, although I would like a little bit of boredom, 
little bit of boredom might do my soul quite good at the moment. Um, but I like the variety. I do. And can you tell me about a career low? How did you overcome it? What did you learn from it? Yeah. Um, I think for me, the career low is always from, I mean, I won't go into the exact details of disappointments mm. when you either feel like you've let yourself down and, and not meet your own expectations or you thought you were the right person for the job or the, you know, the, the thing that you're aiming for wasn't, didn't come your way. So I've got a particular moment in mind. I won't go into the details, but what, what I, what I did learn from it, I guess, is patience. Um, because when I reflected back, I knew that I hadn't changed. You know, I still think I had the same skill set before it. And I had the same skill set after it and I was going to, going to continue to, to learn and grow through it. But I just had to give myself some patience to realize that something else would come along. Um, and I'm not a fatalistic person who thinks that, you know, everything happens for a reason. I, I think personally I put myself in the driving seat and say, well, I'm going to prepare myself for every possible chance and, and I'm going to drive my own future towards a certain direction. And then if I, if I make, you know, if I make myself the best version of me, then the right thing will come to me. Um, and so that, that's what I learned, I guess, is just patience and continue to be the best version of me that I can be. And can you tell me about your career high? Um, yes, I can. Uh, maybe not. I don't know if I could single it as the number one single high, but I remember particularly uh, an occasion a few years back when the stars aligned on the things that we tried to make a difference on. And, and again, I won't, I won't say the exact specifics of it, but... Um, We'd work really hard to build some stability and some expectations into how we wanted the children to behave around a certain event. And um, when it came off, I think at the end of it, myself and, and someone who had the sort of equivalent of like a school counsellor, we, we looked at each other and there were seriously tears in our eyes as we said that I, I don't, you know, that couldn't have gone any better from where we were a year ago to where we got to on this event. So that was fantastic. It was just putting the plan in place and really drawing a line in the sand, trying to hold expectations for that line and eventually the behaviors came around and changed to meet it um so yeah that was that was a cracking moment in my history <laughs> brilliant and if you weren't a school principal what career would you choose if you could do anything <laughs> I, <laughs> deep deep side i love I've, I've found a love for not that i'm any good at that but i've found a love for um looking at design and buildings and architecture and i think if i could go right back to the beginning i'd probably go into architecture and thinking about um, spaces and design and, and buildings and how we make them both suit humans but a part of the environment. Um, and more recently, the more I'm in this role, which is an ecological school, the more I'm reading into regenerative futures and design and thinking about sustainability and, and our connections with nature. So I think I would probably go back to some kind of bio-design or ecological design principle type stuff, architecture. I'd love to. <laughs> that's interesting and and then, so I suppose with with the changes to COVID and, and classrooms and everything else um, and design of classrooms and schools is, mm. is obviously quite paramount and there's been a lot of mm -hmm. looking into it do you think how classrooms are used how the space is used how the learning environment will would it change do you think in the coming years um Yes, again, if, I, I mean, I use my current experience as, a, as an ecological school. So as a green school, people are, you know, if people say, oh, how can I make my classroom more green? And green's easy. You can stick up some leaves and twigs and, and it's quite surface level. But if you really want to get under the surface of it, 
you need to think that design signals intent. So if your intent is to make a, a learning environment that is more connected to nature, then you would think not just about you know, sticks and twigs and more, more wood. You would think about, um, you know, does my room have a, a ground level where it's rapidly changing and everyone can access? Does it have a mid-level where children can access things but it's going to be um, less less changeable? Does it have a canopy level where things are more steady and static and they don't change often, but they're the sort of maturity, mature element of my class? Am I thinking about textures and materiality? Am I thinking, you know, about access to light? Am I thinking about access to water? Do I have furniture that impedes the, the view through the window? Am I putting bright coloured stickers all over the window as opposed to letting children see outside? So I definitely think that even if you if you have you know, a plain old box as a classroom, you can look at it and review it from a, a design point of view as opposed to just a, a classroom display point of view. Um, there is research, I'm sure people out there have read about it, I think it's called Clever Classrooms, and it's, it's difficult to pin down to a granular level the exact differences between what makes a great class and what makes a, a worse class, but the, the correlation between a great class and a, and a poorly designed class is significant between uh, uh, relative to students' results. And I think the numbers in that piece of research state something like 16 to 18 percent improvements in outcomes between a great classroom design and a really poor classroom design. And that comes down to air and light and water and, and temperature and stuff like that, as opposed to just your displays. So at a classroom level, at the teacher level, you can do a huge you know, service to your children by thinking really deeply about the design. Uh, at a school level, I, I mean, I think all school designers are as much as possible trying to give children access to the outdoors. So I think that's more of a, a question of cost. You know, how far can we go in the design of this building to really meet the needs of the children? Um, and, you know, some schools do it well and some do it less well. And that sort of leads me on to my next question about sort of what measures can schools put in place to help support leaders and educators? Well, schools are places of growth, right? Um, and the places of learning. So... Everyone wants to be in a place that, that is helping them to grow and to develop. So I guess the first thing is that one, one, I guess, is you meet those hygiene factors in terms of safety and security. So making sure everyone feels appropriately remunerated, making sure that, you know, they, they feel secure and safe in the school. And then after that, helping them to grow. So I guess the most important part of that is, is training and development. Um, everything from investing in external training to making sure the internal training is good work. And then also realising that, you, know, you don't have to get better at everything at the same time. So training in growth and learning is, is a slow process. So trying to nail down exactly what we want to get better at and then refining um, and, and clarifying which bits we want to get better at so we're not trying to achieve everything in one moment. Um, and we, again, as a new school, we haven't got that right yet. We're still working on that because everything's a priority. So supporting leaders and educators, I guess, is one is helping them to grow. Two is trying to remove the, the extraneous factors that um, detract from their key job and then three is just trying to help and coach them to the point of well keeping the main thing is the main thing so always thinking about what we can do to improve the learning of our children. Brilliant and what is the one piece of advice you'd give to your younger self? That's a tricky question if I I think as my younger self I need a lot more than one single piece. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I brought into most of the cliches of a young man growing up um, bullish and and aspirational and probably you know um, didn't listen to as much advice as I should have listened to so I would say spend more time 
alone, get to know myself, you know, do some more reflection and get outside of what I thought society wanted me to be or I guess just what I'd normalised in terms of what I wanted to be and make sure that where I was heading was exactly where I thought I should be heading. That would be tough advice to swallow as a young man, I think, but that's what I'd say. <laughs> that's that's a great piece of advice and something that, you know, we've done in quite a few of these podcasts now and when we've asked people, they've said, well, you know, I'd love to give myself, my younger self advice, but whether I'd listen, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sort of yeah, with the benefit of hindsight. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and then sort of finally, where do you see the future of education and, and what you hope for in the future? That's a super question. That's something I've been, you know, as I design our secondary school um, with support of the but really thinking deeply about that. So between a traditional school and a fully alternative school or alternative education, um, I, see, I see a future of education that is a completely new narrative um, compared to what exists now. And I, I see people crossing that bridge towards this new narrative of education where we stop with the separatism of, you know, the current sort of worldview where we, we separate subjects from subjects, we separate self from environment, we separate man from spirit, from religion to all the other pieces. We stop with the separatism, which which evolved out of the Enlightenment period and, and you know, specific people that probably you know, like, like Newton and Descartes and other people who, who looked at scientists and look at science as an empirical sort of knowledge and breaking things down into separate parts. So I'm waffling a little bit, but I, I guess I would see a future where things are more connected. And because they're more connected as people are able to choose what it is that they want to do. So I see a future where you no longer have a, a, a very small range of what it is that you want to select from to go on to wherever your future may be. I see it as a smorgasbord of options that might be in bricks and mortar. It might be an on-site place, but it's more likely going to be a mixture of all. So you might spend some time in this bricks and mortar place, another bricks and mortar place down the road, do some of it online. Um, it should be multi-leveled. It shouldn't be by age. Um, I, I see it as a, just a real complete rethink of what education looks compared to now. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Brett, for your time. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you and thank you for being so so open and, and interesting. It was great. No problem. You're welcome. Um, I hope it was vaguely interesting. <laughs> it definitely was. Um, and hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And uh, it's good to chat. Thanks for joining this week's guest cast. Make sure you visit our website, guesteducation.com, the essential resource for educators to subscribe to the podcast and to enjoy the latest education news.